Oh, cool. I hope that was at least just a little bit encouraging for you uh, tonight. So um, if you want to grab your Bibles, whether you've got a a physical one or it's on on your phone or whatever device that you use, I want you to grab them now. It will be up on the board, but there's something good about seeing it right in front of you. Um, So we're going to be in the book of Philippians. Uh, So Chris awesomely started us off last week. I wasn't there, unfortunately, but I had to listen to it and it was was meant. Um, So we're continuing on from there. So chapter 1 verses 12 so um we yes we've called it to live is christ or yeah to live is christ which is from one of the verses that we're actually going to be reading today which is to live is christ to die is gain so why don't you read it with me uh i'll grab the next slide if i can nathan if it is up there otherwise you guys are just reading in your uh philippians 1 verses 12 to 26 so I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear." Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. So we're going to keep reading in about halfway through my sermon, the second half of this passage, but I want to spend a little bit of time particularly looking at verses 12 to 14. Um, So many of you might already know that Paul, he's uh, the guy that's written this this letter and that's the one that we just read. He's talking here and he's writing this book, this letter, sorry, from prison. And you might have picked that up from the language of him being imprisoned a few times. Um, and unlike what you'd think, he's actually rejoicing. He's rejoicing while he's in, pri- in prison. And uh, I've met, I have met uh, a few people, not too many, that have been to prison. And I can't say I've heard one of them say that they rejoiced at the fact that they were in prison. Um, it was, it's kind of like a what? Why? And I, I kind of want to explore that a bit. It's kind of, generally speaking, not the greatest place to be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a very nice place, particularly... Um, I know uh, that Australian prisons are quite bad, no matter which one you really go to. But when I started kind of digging a little bit deeper, I found out that uh, in the first century, many, uh, the Roman, first century Rome, uh, prisons weren't quite the same as they were today, uh, that we have them in, in our form. And I found that quite interesting. So most prisons weren't a place where you kind of, did a sentence. You know what, you got convicted of 15 years and you've got to live your sentence out in prison. And they didn't really function like that a vast majority of the time. They were kind of more like a place where you'd, uh, you'd kind of, it's like a temporary place where you're uh, awaiting trial or execution. It's pretty rough, hopefully not the latter. Um, sometimes being in prison actually could look like being under house arrest as well, that you could just be kind of chilling at your own home. Um, and they'd even, I looked into it, but the, if you were a Roman citizen, they'd give you a certain like kind of almost budget to get food um, just to be in prison at home. Um, it's interesting. 
And so prison kind of wasn't so much about serving uh, kind of your sentence. It, it, was, it wasn't your punishment per se. And um, if, you, if you look at the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul, he gets, he gets in prison quite a few times. And he experiences prison in, in various different ways, in the various different ways in, in, in first century. So, and uh, he experiences them more. And he, he was actually chained in Philippi, which is Philippians, Philippi, which is where this is being written to in Acts 16, which is a cool read. Um, and that's actually around the time that the Philippian church was created, like that it, was, it started, um, which is when, so if you know the story, like uh, um, Paul, he's chained up and he's praying and then and God just releases these chains, these chains and like everyone's chains comes off of these prisoners. And this guard, he's just like, oh no, and it was like shame and honor type culture and he's just like, and he was about to kill himself because he was just like, I've dishonored this, I, I, I failed at my, at my job and I don't want to do this. And then Paul, he kind of goes, he tells him about Jesus and his whole family comes to know Jesus. And so just think about it. I thought that was cool and why I'm saying it is because you think about it, that guy and his family are probably listening, they probably were listening to this letter that Paul actually sent to them. So it would have meant quite a lot. So that's where the Philippian kind of church uh, planted and started. He was jailed in Acts uh, 23, and I, I don't know quite how to say it, a praetorium, praetorium which was kind of like a bit like a, a nice kind of uh, holding cell while you await your um, kind of your sentence. And he was also put under house arrest at some point in Rome in Acts 28. And as far as I know, we don't see him in like the, the worst of the worst where he's kind of awaiting his execution in some of the more rough Roman prisons. But historians would say that that's what happened before he was uh, uh, beheaded with a sword. Um, so... Sure, where he was writing this was probably not the worst place in the world. It probably wasn't the kind of prison that we have today. But, but it still wasn't great. It still wasn't a nice place to be. And one of the main reasons why was that, like I said before, this was a, quite a shame and honour type culture. And basically, if you were in prison, you were kind of like, you had the social stigma on you now. Like nobody wanted to be near you most of the time. They were kind of like, I did not want to associate with this guy. And it's kind of being pushed out to the outskirts of society if you've been imprisoned. It's not, you don't want to hang out with those kinds of people in the first century. So why on earth, I come back to it, why on earth would Paul be rejoicing? Why would he be rejoicing in prison? So we see it in the text. Uh, one, one, uh, the second point I'm going to spend a bit more time on, but firstly, both like Paul was rejoicing and the church was encouraged because through his imprisonment, the gospel was advanced. People came to know Jesus. People came to know the message of Jesus all throughout the imperial guard, like the lots of guards within Rome and many other places, he says, came to know why he was in there and came to know the gospel. And that was encouraging to hear that out of something so bad, out of something that normally would have been like a, uh, I don't want anything to do with you, something good is coming out of it. God is doing something good out of something bad. But secondly, rather than his imprisonment being something that caused him to kind of be abandoned by this Philippian church, um, it actually caused many of them to grow stronger. It had the opposite effect. It caused them to grow stronger. It caused many of them to become confident in 
the Lord and they didn't abandon him, which is really cool. So it didn't deter them but rather encouraged them. And why? I think this would have, if you think about it, this would have been an encouragement. Why this would have been an encouragement is because as far as I can see, um, in the first century Rome, if you were a Christian, that wasn't like the coolest decision to make socially and economically. Uh, often uh, you, you, you uh, weren't the most popular person, it wasn't a very good economic decision and many people like on a regular basis uh, had some form of persecution toward them, whether that's verbal or physical and they were kind of outcast at certain times. So to see the person that planted that church and told them the gospel not caving under pressure and actually hanging on to Jesus and proclaiming him while all the while they're being persecuted as well would have just been such an encouragement. It would have been like, whoa, he, he's, the real, like he's not joking. This message really means it. It, it, is, it is real. And it would have just been so encouraging for them. I can imagine they would have been filled with so much zeal and the, the text says that they're filled with boldness and they were without fear. And just on a side note, I think that's why, um, this is my main point by any means, but I think, I think that's why we need good examples in our life. I think we need good people, um, whether we know them or not, there's a lot of resources out there of good people that are not caving under pressure. People that love the Lord, people that we can look up to and kind of go, wow, okay, I can do this too. And the people that we, and I'll, I'll talk on this a bit later, but the people we look up to, the people we read, all these kinds of things, it really affects us and how we do our walk. So it's good to, good to have good people in your life. So, verse 14, it says that most of the brothers, and that would mean most of the brothers and sisters, that would have been both, um, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without they're much more bold to speak the word without fear they were emboldened by this by him being in prison and people knowing the gospel they were encouraged so much so that they spoke without fear that's a crazy thing if you think about it even despite the persecution and even the kind of possibility of imprisonment just like Paul they were encouraged they had boldness and were without fear and I don't know about you guys, but I actually think we're in a time where it actually takes a lot of boldness to speak about Jesus. It takes a lot of boldness. And often there's, I'm, like, I'm just, I'm leveling with you here and I think we can do this tonight. We're a small group, let's hang out. But there's usually a fair bit of fear around it, yeah? You kind of like, there's a bit of fear, whether you're talking to your friends, your family or co-workers, people at school, at uni or the guy on the bus or the train or wherever it might be. It can, it can fill you with a bit of fear. I've talked about this in, um, in other sermons, but we increasingly are living in a time where Christianity seems to not be kind of the norm anymore. It's easier and kind of, I'll flip it over, but it's easier to be a Christian when everyone else or a lot of people are Christians, yeah? It doesn't really, you don't really have to do much. You're kind of like, sweet, everyone's a Christian, but we're kind of not there now. Like we're actually more a minority than the majority and things have flipped quite quick in history um, in that way. So it's, 
why I say that is that that's what makes it a little bit difficult as well. We're not the majority, we're often a minority. And then on top of that, for some people out there, being a Christian, you're kind of like, I've met them before, I'm not saying it's a majority by any means, but people are kind of like, what? You're a Christian? Like, why? Why would you believe that? Like, that's outdated, and you're kind of like, they're pitying you a little bit. And um, I, I think this is the particular case. I'll, I'll give you a few examples of really uh, common ones. Is uh, When it comes to things like relationships and um, sex outside of marriage, it is so from the norm that we'd wait till marriage to do these things. Um, and wait till marriage to, to sleep together, to be in the same house, um, to, to do the deed and <laughs> to do that. It's, it's, it's not the norm. And like, I, I haven't had anyone that's really kind of seen this as a bad thing, which is kind of cool, but whenever I tell people, uh, when Esther and I tell people that aren't Christians about their journey, they might have asked about it, they're kind of like, what the heck? Like, why did you wait? Like, what's going on? Like, you're like, are you serious? Are you mad? Like, and they just, like, all that to say, and often they actually, on the contrary, they think it's actually quite special, which is kind of nice. Um, but people, it, it kind of doesn't make sense. They're kind of like, why would, you, why would you wait for that? I have no idea. Um, it's weird to many that you wouldn't sign up to all the philosophies or the ideas and kind of uh, cultural narrative of the LGBT type stuff. It seems like a, like a why? Why wouldn't you? Like everybody's doing it. Why wouldn't you agree with absolutely everything? A lot of people don't understand why you'd even spend time here tonight. They're kind of like, or in the morning. Uh, they don't understand. I, I've met so many people. JB Hi-Fi reference coming in. Um, when I used to work at JB, and, um, and they would be like, they just didn't understand why I went to church and why I couldn't just party all night on a Saturday. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's different. We're not kind of the norm anymore. It's kind of like they, that is unheard of in many circles. And some people are fine with it. Some people are open. Some people uh, can be pretty shut off and sometimes people are hostile. You might get a mixed bag of it. And this can be really daunting. This is why I'm saying this. It can be really daunting when this is the case. And it requires, like, um, like uh, Paul is talking about, it requires boldness. It requires boldness. And sometimes we don't uh, know how someone is going to react. And I think that's what kind of happens is like, oh, like, are they going to like me? Uh, is, is my friendship going to be on the line here? Is this, how are they going to react? It's fears often, this is my experience, is often when I don't actually go about doing it, is that it's something I'm just like, I'm fearful of what they might think about me and the things I could lose potentially. So isn't it any wonder that we can have fear around being a Christian and sharing the gospel? It's, it's a, I'll level with you, it can be pretty daunting. They're, they're real fears and we increasingly live in this kind of post-Christian culture as well which doesn't make it any easier. And I'll quickly just touch on this but we live in a very comfortable time as well. We live in a very uh, pleasure-based time uh, where we basically your, your uh, kind of goal in life is to just be as happy as you can and to get every bit of pleasure that you can at every cost. That's kind of the one of the underlying philosophies that most people believe without realizing it um, is that it's all about me. It's all about my comfort. And we live in a good time 
where we're so blessed. Like I know I've talked about this before and we get told about this where it's just like, but we in Australia, we have so much. We have so much to be thankful for. So many things that I take for granted, that we take for granted, that are just stock standard things that we have now. That uh, So my point is, is that we live in a time where it's very pleasure-based. It's kind of like, yes, I just want to feel good and we're comfortable. So the thought of being uncomfortable and not getting pleasure and talking to a people that don't really know what you believe and you have no idea what they're going to say back to you, that's daunting, right? It's pretty daunting. So it's very tempting to not be bold. It's very tempting to not be bold and stay comfortable rather than being bold and without fear. And I think to some degree we can all relate with this. I know I can. So the question is though, if this is the case, if we can all relate with this to some degree, how do we as Christians in this kind of world that we live in be bold and be without fear like Paul is, uh, was sorry, and the Philippian church was? How do we become bold and without fear in our cultural moment? How do we do it? So, if you want to grab your Bibles again, we're going to read verses 19 to 26, which will be on the next slide. Yep. Um, so, and he says, I think, I think we'll find an answer in here. That's why I'm reading this. So, he says, this is the end of verse 18. Sorry, the passage that we were just reading. He says, yes, I and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, this is the Philippians' prayers, um, and the help of the Holy Spirit of Christ, of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body. Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death, whether by life or by death. Hang on to that. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me, yet which I, sh- I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, p- to depart and be with Christ, for that would be far better, because he'd be with He'd be with Jesus. That's not in the Bible. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, on the Philippians' account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in in me you may have ample cause to glorify glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Powerful passage, man. I don't think you could overread this passage. <laughs> it's, it's, it's full of gold and it's, it's full of things that will anchor us every single day. So I want to I explore it a bit and kind of and, and answer that question that I posed. So his, just rereading it a little bit, his eager expectation, this is verse 20, his eager expectation and hope, one of his like main life goals is that he would not be ashamed of Christ. And when push comes to shove, he would not be ashamed of him, but rather that he would have full courage so he can honour Christ, so he can make his name glorified, so he can make his name known to people. He doesn't want to be ashamed, so he is able to do that, to not point to himself, but point to God. 
And what's implicit in this, and I kind of just said it, is that the focus in this whole passage isn't Paul. Do you notice that? He's kind of like, he's talking about himself, sure, but he's kind of going, why do I want to be bold? Why do I want to not be ashamed? It's because it's about Jesus. It's about him and I want to honour him. And he, his want to do this is so great that this applies to whether he lives or dies. His desire for God to be glorified it hinges, and it, it, sorry, not hinges, whether it, it, it applies to it, whether he lives or dies. Whether by life or death he wants to glorify Christ. He wants him to be known, not himself. And if you think about that, guys, that's huge. That's massive. That's a big claim. Like I'm sure most of you, I mean, you love, you actually quite like your life, and that's a big claim. There's a lot of weight behind that. And Paul Jones shows us that his number one goal in life is Jesus. His number one goal in life is Jesus. He sold out for him. That's why he can say, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." He's kind of like, either way, I win. Like you know what I mean? He's just like, if I die, I'll be with Christ. That's going to be amazing. If I'm living, you know what? It might be hard, but you know what? I get to glorify Christ. You know what I mean? I can help more people. And that, like, you would not be able to say that. Half of my point is that you would not be able to say that if life was about you. You know what I mean? His life was centred on him. And he, so much so that he would live or die for it. And I think that's where we could find the answer. How do we become full of courage and boldness? How do we do that in a face of a world that increasingly doesn't think like you and I do? How do we do that? It's by Jesus being our life. It's by him being the focus. It's by him being the focus. It's for him being the reason for living. And church, the call of every Christian, I can't say this enough, and this applies to me, this applies to all the pastors, it applies to every single one of us, is that the call of every Christian is to completely be sold out for Jesus. It's about him. We'll be way more likely, I'm I'm putting it on the negative now, we'll be way more likely to not be bold and courageous and actually be fearful if our reason for living isn't here. Think about it on the opposite. If to me, to live is money. If to me, to live is comfort. If to me, to live is uh, the approval of others. If to me, to live is control or relationships. If to me, to live is success, at least defined by um, outside of how God would define it. And if it's not Jesus then I will almost certainly be quite, um, I will be almost certainly not be bold and courageous. I probably will be more fearful and quiet just by, na- just by nature. I probably won't be bold. We probably won't be bold and courageous for Jesus if the reason for our life um, and why we live actually isn't him. It's because the call of every disciple of Jesus is to find our source of life in Him. That's one of my points. And it's when what we consider to be living is Jesus, just like Paul says, that we will be more naturally bold and courageous. 
It, I, I'll say this in a, in a second, um, but it's not, it's not like an overnight type thing, don't get me wrong there, and I'm sure there's relevant fears. I just named some before, like it's, it's okay. But naturally, as we are more consumed by Jesus and Him being the point in life, not ourselves, then we will be more bold and courageous. We will be less without fear in the face of uh, a culture or a face of a people or whatever we hit up against that doesn't think like us. And I'm saying it would be easy or that we wouldn't kind of wrestle with it. I don't know about you, but I'm sure Paul, he was confident of it, but like that would have been scary. Like, you know what I mean? Actually dying. I'm not him, I don't actually know that, but most of us, I could almost guarantee, that would be a really crazy thing. It would be full of fear. But I hope, as the thing I'm getting at is that as we follow Jesus, as we make him the centerpiece, is that we'd have a peace that we could do that. We're not called to a comfortable Christianity. We're not. There's none of it in the Bible. None of it. The call of being a Christian isn't just a prayer we said a little while ago, as important as that is. It's not just that. And then trying to change our life from there uh, morally. That's not what a Christian is about. Our call is to be sold out, a sold out disciple, an apprentice of Jesus. It's like the core foundation, the very thing that we do life from. It's not an add-on. And that's part of the answer of how we're going to stand up in a, in a very good and loving way, I mean. How we're going to stand strong and not conform to this culture is when Christ is the center point and we just do life from there. But let's, let's, let's do that. How do we become, how do we do that then? How do we become a person that is just so sold out for Jesus? How do we make Jesus our life? And there's many ways that we can do this, but I just, I just want to focus on one thing tonight and kind of unpack it a little bit. Um, but one of the big things that we need to do, and it's very, very simple, is that we need to be formed by Jesus. We need to be formed by Jesus. So one thing I've been really convicted by, and I'll explain this, while I've been really convicted of recently is that everything forms you. It kind of shapes you, yeah? Everything you do, everything shapes you. The things that we think about, the things that we watch, the things we read, the conversations we have, the people we hang out with, the work and the study that we do, what we think about at night and in the shower, it shapes us, yeah? It does. It's very, very small often. It's very, very small steps, but it shapes you into who you are and who you aren't. It has great influence on you. It forms us into someone and it can't help but do that, no matter who you are. And I was listening to uh, John Mark Comer. Many of you would have known. We got to interview him, which was really cool. I should have him again, actually, at the, uh, toward the middle of the year, which is awesome. Um, and I was listening to a podcast of him and he's, he kind of it, it rang, rang really well with this kind of point. And he was saying that spiritual formation isn't just for Christians. It's actually for everyone. Everyone is formed by something, spiritually, physically, in all different ways. Everyone is formed by different things. It applies to everyone. So the question is, and I want to ask us this tonight, um, is what is shaping you? What is shaping you? And does it, what, who are you becoming by the things that you do, the things that you listen, the things that you don't do? Who are you becoming by that? 
And is it more like Jesus? Is it more like Jesus? Because I'm more and more convinced by, uh, as I study the Word, as I listen to other people talk about God, is that we're meant to do everything we do is, is meant to be with God. That's our walk. We're meant to walk with God throughout the whole day. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, kind of concept, but it is a way of life. It is a walk with Jesus. It's like you think of the Great Commission. It's like go out into all the world preaching the gospel type thing. It, in the Greek, it has this kind of like, as you go about your life, do that. And like the same kind of thing applies, is that as we do our life, we should be doing it with Jesus. We should be being formed by him. Following Jesus is actually a complete orientation of our lives. It's a complete orientation of our lives around him, whether by life or whether by death. Christ is the goal. That more and more as we grow, we are just doing life for Jesus and with Jesus. Wouldn't that be so special? I, like, I feel a little teary thinking about that where we keep kind of, as the Bible says, we keep in step with the Spirit. Where we go where He wants us to go, we stop where we want, He wants us to stop, where more and more we just do life. And it doesn't have to be the significant thing. You might just be driving to work or getting some groceries, but you know He's there with you. That you can sense it. As if someone else actually is with you. Do you know what I mean? And how beautiful of a thing that is that. And... That requires being with Jesus. Yeah, and put it this way, I thought of it this way. You think of the 12 disciples, yeah? Um, they were like these people that started the early church like after Jesus ascended and God just did his thing. Could you imagine if they only spent like 10 minutes with him a day like in his ministry? That would have been crazy. Like They wouldn't have become anything like Jesus. They wouldn't have done the things he's done. They wouldn't have seen what he had done. And he, they just would have kind of stayed where they were and I actually think this is the same for us. And we need um, this kind of apprenticeship, this discipleship to Jesus as we do life. And where I want to finish up, I've still got a, l- a little bit, not too long, um, but where I want to kind of t- anchor down here is I want to finish up with a couple of things. And one is, do I think that this is an overnight thing? We live in a culture that's very instant, yeah? It's just like instant everything. How can I get this right now? Um, and sometimes God works that way, but in my experience and many experiences of others, it's, it's quite often, as I always say, a journey. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a slow process. Um, I think it takes a whole lifetime to do this, to, to continuously centre our lives around Christ, to, to be a person that could confidently say to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you know what I mean? It takes a lifetime. It takes a long time of discipline. But do I think, though, that therefore, because it's going to take a long time and we're kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm, I have the energy for that or whatever, like, dude, does that mean I, I don't take it seriously, that we don't take it seriously? No. If it's going to take a long time, you best, bet, you best get started. Do you know what I mean? Like, you might as well start now. Um, and it's so, so worth it. It's not an overnight thing, but it is something we still need to take seriously. It's a discipline. But secondly, and I want to, I want to talk about this for a little bit, how we become disciples of Jesus that more and more do life with him throughout each day starts with the small things. 
And I, I think this is something that God's been really putting on my heart. It's the small things. There's many other things, obviously, but I'm just talking about this tonight. It's in the small things. There's a lot of small little decisions and a lot of small influences from different places, different people, different, different places that shape who we are. It's never usually a huge thing and therefore we go, oh, yep, I just do that. Like, no, it's, it's a lot of little steps towards who you're becoming and we seldom often don't notice that we're changing um, and it's seldom ever overnight. It's usually little by little, step by step, of hearing and seeing it more, um, that we are often slowly shaped into thinking and becoming a certain way. So what we need to do in being disciples of Jesus is start with these little things. And I, I just came up with a few things that I've been, uh, that I've done. Some I've already done for a while. Some I've been just been thinking about a bit more lately. Um, but the obviously one, obvious one, the, the classic Christian line, but it's extremely important, which is why it's in a classic Christian line, but we need to spend time in the Word. We need to spend time praying. And if you're like, bro, I haven't done that in ages, you're like, oh, I don't find that really easy, that, just come talk to me. There's lots of ways around this. We're not all the same person, yeah? We don't all kind of pray the same way. We don't all like feel a, a, a tug towards the Word quite as much as everyone else. Sometimes it's confusing. But why not try, reach out if you're not sure. But secondly, try a chapter a day. Chapter in the morning or night if you're not a morning person. And five to ten minutes of prayer a day. I actually, confession, I don't find prayer super easy. Um, A lot of other things, I'm like, yes, let's do it. Let's read the word. Let's do all this other stuff. But prayer I don't find quite as easy. So I actually started not too long ago um, so I could regularly pray, I wrote out a prayer that I just prayed every day. It kind of got, uh, it's from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, like the Lord's Prayer, um, and then I kind of added some more stuff to it. And it's just stuff that I always want to pray every single day just to anchor myself um, to Him and start my day well. And maybe you want to go pray and start praying for other people. Or you want to thank God for different things or whatever it might be. But a simple one is, Lord, I just want to know that you're there. I just want to feel your presence. Lord, can you help me to see that? Can you help me to be open to that? That I wouldn't miss those things that you're trying to show me every day. That I wouldn't miss that presence. And again, little steps. You might not notice this huge thing. That's my experience. But you, you'll notice as you keep praying it, you'll notice more and more that Jesus is there, that God's there. But maybe we need to retrain our, our brain and our, and our habits. This is going back about a year's time where we did the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry type uh, Fight the Hustle series. But take small steps to not be kind of idolizing your phone. Um, I'm not saying everybody does here. I'm not that guy. You know if you do. Um, but we need to retrain our brain. There's actually a lot of opportunities there. Um, that we lose to our phones, to technology. So maybe rather than the first thing that you do when you wake up to get your phone or the first thing you do when you hit the, hit the bed to go to sleep is not look at your phone, but talk with God for a little bit. Maybe like, we're, I don't know about you, but I'm a chronic like, okay, there's a lull in the conversation or like Esther's gone to the bathroom, I'm just going to look at my phone. Do you know what I mean? We just pick it up in, the, in that little minute kind of slot between different things. Rather, all those kinds of little moments, I reckon we can make them check-in points with God. Do you know what I mean? Instead of kind of picking it up and going, okay, what's happening on Facebook? Um, then we can actually just go, 
hang on, nah. And you might not be perfect at it straight away. I'm not. This is what I'm trying to do this at the moment. And you kind of just go, nah, God, I'm actually just going to check in with you. You know what I mean? Actually, Lord, I want to be aware of your presence now. And I want to I want to know what you want me to do for the rest of the day. I'm sorry if I've sinned. Like, so on and so forth. Just, I reckon that's an easy way as well. Start having check-in points with God. Maybe you want to set a little alarm each day at different points in the day when you know you're semi-free or you get distracted or something like that. Whatever works. As you're traveling to work, to school or uni, spend some time in prayer. Have a mini silence and solitude. If it's a loud place, get some mini headphones, bro. It'll change your life. They're great. You'll have some silence then. Um, one thing I've been really convicted of is that when I have free time, what do I do in an evening? Um, do I spend it sitting around a TV? Do you know what I mean? Watching Netflix or um, one of the streaming platforms? Do I sit playing a game? Or what do I do? How do I center a decent chunk of my time when I have it? Um, and how do I use it? And do I use it on Netflix? I think that's a common one for many of us. And what uh, this is just an idea that I, I've been saying, uh, that Esther and I have been saying recently, but we've just, uh, and not everyone's just going to be able to do it, but we're going to actually just reorientate our whole, like, um, what do you call it? Lounge room. It's a common word. I didn't remember that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to reorientate our whole lounge room. We're going to put a TV, the TV in. We, actually, we have a, a spare room. We're going to put it in there. And we're actually just going to get some cool reading chairs. We're going to center it around community. We're going to center it around time with God, some music, um, having good conversation with people. So anyway, what do you spend your time on? Do you watch too much um, Netflix? What do you read? What do you listen to? Whether it's music or uh, podcasts or people on Facebook or whatever it might be. Who do you read? Who do you listen to? And hopefully you kind of get my point. And maybe what will help, and we often don't kind of know what we're doing because we're so used to doing it, and it's just a habit, but sit down tonight. I encourage you. When you get home, or even if you want to do it after, really do it. It'll, it'll change things. Sit down, think about how you use your time and write it out. Don't feel guilty, just write it out. And then kind of go, okay, what are some small little steps I can take? And who can I tell about that? I think we need to start off with the small things. So our practices with God won't, I, I just... They won't make us more holy. It's the fact that we're like, oh, I just do read my Bible, therefore I'm, I'm closer with God. And no, it's actually about the connection with God. It's about being with Him. It's not just doing a habit because that's what we do as Christians. It's connection with God and growing more and more into His image. I'll invite the worship team up as I, as I finish up. But may we be a people that over time, as we take small steps toward Jesus, that we could be a people that take God so seriously that we could say to live is Christ, to die is gain. That we could say that. That more and more we can be like, God, I, oh man, that would be hard, but I want that. I want you to be my world and start tonight. This is the best time, guys. Often we have New Year's resolutions. I know it was last week, but, but yeah, it's close enough. But let's start this year, that this would be the year where we look back and we kind of go, yes, I took some small steps and I grew. That God became more of my treasure that year and that is awesome. And I did that in community. I'm going to pray, hey? Lord, I thank you that you are patient with us, Lord God. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us 
um, to be more like you, to do the things that you did, Lord God, to be with you. And Lord, I pray that the habits that are just so ingrained in us that are not leading to shaping toward you, Lord God, that you would help us change that. That, Lord, good people around us will help us in that journey as well. That we'd have the guts to reach out to some good people. And, Lord, I pray we want to surrender to you right now. Lord, be our life, Lord God. Let life not be about all these other things, even if they are some good things, Lord God, but let life be about you. Let us be a people that are marked by that, and that's okay. Lord, I pray that you would have your way, that you would do what only you can do in our hearts, Lord God. Amen.